Our passage this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you for coming. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning. You just heard a word from Alex and Trish Ludvicek. If you've been at Grace for a long, long time, you know that they grew up here. They were a part of our youth group, and then they went off to, uh, uh, to Moody Flight School, and they've been with MAF for a number of years and just finished a furlough here back in the States. Uh, they're looking for prayer partners, and I want to encourage you to consider being uh, a prayer partner with them. As you exit the sanctuary when you leave, just to your left, you'll see our, our, our mission table there. And you can sign up for their monthly prayer letter. Also get um, something to put on your fridge uh, or put in your Bible. It's just to remind you to pray for them. Uh, before we begin the sermon, let's, uh, let's lift the Ludwigs up in prayer and ask that, uh, that God bless them. Father, we thank you for Alex, for Tricia, for little Jack, and also Ben. Thank you for calling them, for saving them, for sending them. Lord, we pray for uh, just as they're transitioning back uh, to to Papua, uh, we pray that you would bless their time, keep them safe, and when they get back on the base, Lord, use them in a mighty way as they partner with uh, with other people in Indonesia and Papua to advance the gospel to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray uh, for safety, uh, for empowerment, and Father, we pray that you would raise up prayer um, partners here in this room to partner with them and with one another as we advance the gospel for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, so please turn your Bible to Philippians chapter one. I want to let you know that the message that would have been preached last week will be online for you. That covers verses uh, three, three, um, through 11. Now, one of those verses, verse 5, Paul says, I want to thank you for your partnership with me in the gospel. That's what our purpose is. I want to encourage you to listen to that message online. But we are in a partnership with Alex and Trish in Papua, uh, with the Apostle Paul 2,000 and some odd years ago. Uh, the body of Christ worldwide is a partnership. We are one. We are one, and we are united with the purpose of, of bringing the good news of the kingdom through Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and resurrection to those who don't have hope, to those who don't have hope. And so this morning, we're going to look at a subject which potentially could rob you of hope, and that is the subject of suffering. Everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. The year 2021 Undoubtedly, there are those of you who went through various trials and tribulations. It's not a matter of if you did. It's a matter of what kinds of trials, what kinds of tribulations, what degrees of suffering. And if we're going to recover our true selves, our identity in Christ, we need to learn how to process this suffering. So let's take a look at what, what Paul says in, in verse 12. 
He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what is ha- something happened to him, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good. He wants these Philippians and us, those of us who are reading this text here today, he wants us to know that the suffering that he experienced, it really served to advance the gospel. So the question is, how do you and I, how do we, how do we process suffering? See, Paul's process, the way he viewed his suffering, led to a certain outcome. And that outcome is rejoicing. So take a look in Philippians here. Um, this, is, this is rapid fire. But this rejoicing is a major theme, a major theme in the book of Philippians. So Paul says that Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. We'll get to that here in a moment. That's verse 18. He talks about rejoicing in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He talks about rejoicing again in chapter 2, verse 28. He says, and for this, I rejoice in verse 1 of chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, I tell you, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. This is a major theme in the book of Philippians. It's a major theme uh, in following Christ, the, the call to rejoice. Now, I, wa- I want to just throw this out to you. I want you to think about something that you went through in 2021 or 2020 within the last few years that's still fresh in your mind and it was very painful. Okay, do you have that in mind? Now, I want you to think of someone like me, Pastor Brooks, or, or you're sitting with a, a sister in Christ or a friend and you're drinking coffee and you're explaining what your, what your, pain, what your pain is and all the suffering. And then they say to you, well, just rejoice, brother. How do you feel at that moment? If you're in a coffee shop, maybe you want to take that coffee and just go, throw it right in their face. Does, it, does, that, does that not sound, I don't know, unkind to tell someone who's in the midst of intense pain, well, you just need to rejoice. Is that even reasonable? You can't read the book of Philippians and not come across that Paul thinks that we should rejoice. So the question is, how do you get to that place? It's not possible to just rejoice in cancer. You shouldn't rejoice in cancer. You shouldn't rejoice in death. You shouldn't rejoice in injustice. But yet Paul keeps coming back around saying rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. So how do we process this? Three things that will help us. First of all, identify the circumstance. What is causing the pain? What is causing the pain? Secondly, the outcome. How is God using that pain? You may or may not see that, but if you can see it, what is it? How is God using that? And the third thing is, it's about perspective or objective. How should I view pain and suffering in general? What's my objective? What's my perspective? Those are the three things that we're going to see in the text. So let's take a look. First of all, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 circumstances. What's causing the pain? In Paul's case, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, he doesn't tell you per se here. The Philippians know, and he knows that they know. So he doesn't have to go into great detail. But the context here, the circumstances, what happened to Paul wasn't part of his ministry plan. So what is Paul's ministry plan? What does Paul want to do? You can read it in Romans. You can read it in Ephesians. You can read it in Philippians. He is partnering with others in the kingdom to advance the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. That is his plan. That is his strategy. Currently, as he's writing this, he is in prison 
literally chained to a Roman soldier. That was not in his five-year plan. He didn't write this out and say, okay, year two, I want to get myself arrested, be in jail, locked up, chained to a Roman soldier. That's going to advance the gospel. That wasn't part of his plan. That wasn't part of his plan. So whatever has happened to him was not part of his plan. And yet he says it's to advance the gospel. The Philippians are distressed. The Philippians are distressed. If you were here for the first message that Jason preached a few weeks back, uh, December 22nd, I think, you'll, you'll remember that, that Paul had planted this church. He showed up in Philippi. He went to the place where people pray. He saw some, some people that were God-fearers, that is not Christians, but they believed in God. And he got together and he shared the gospel and people started to come in, started to come in Christ. So the church in Philippi began to grow and, and they're partnering with him in the gospel and they're excited about what God is doing. And then they get word that their beloved uh, friend, their beloved mentor, their beloved apostle Paul is now in prison and suffering for Christ's sake. And they're distressed. They are distressed. They are worried. And Paul says, relax. I want you to understand that what I'm going through right now, what I'm going through right now has happened to serve and advance the gospel. The Philippians are concerned about Paul. The Philippians are concerned about the mission. And here's here's a principle that we can take away from this. Things are going to happen to us that we don't plan. Yes? Things are going to happen to us that we don't plan. And these things that happen to us, we can't oftentimes control. We can't oftentimes control. And these things that happen to us, they're often painful. So back in August, my ministry plan was to preach a series called Encountering Christ. I'd been working on it for six months. I'd written most of the messages, most of the devotionals, and just as I got into it, I herniated a disc. I couldn't walk. I couldn't sit. I I couldn't stand. I couldn't... I had to do everything from my back. I was in pain. Now, I told told Josh and I told the elders that this will be two weeks. I'll be back. And then they called my wife and it's like, is that real? And she says, that's not even close to reality. He can't do anything. But it it, it interrupted my plan. My plan to share the gospel. My plan to have people bring people that didn't know Christ to this church so they could hear the gospel. That was my plan. And God says, your plans are not my plan. My plan is that you be on your back for eight weeks. It's like, that's not my plan. Right now, I'm not terribly comfortable. I'm not in excruciating pain. My back surgery was October 28th, but some of you aren't aware that I have a new surgery. December 22nd, I have a three-inch incision right behind the belt. I almost wore sweatpants this morning. I picked out a pair on Amazon. This is what I'm going. I'm not going to preach in jeans with a belt. I couldn't bring myself to preach in sweatpants. I didn't plan that. I didn't plan my first surgery. I didn't plan my second surgery. It wasn't in my plan. And yet, it's part of God's plan. The things that happen to us don't fit into our plans. And oftentimes, they're painful. In my case, it's literally physically painful. But in your case, it may not be literally physical pain. It might be emotional pain. You didn't plan for your spouse to cheat on you. You didn't plan for your, your mom to get cancer. 
You didn't plan for that person that you loved to die in a car crash. You didn't plan for that. Nobody plans for pain and suffering. We don't make, we don't jot it into our agenda. I plan to be, uh, to be on the receiving end of sin and injustice. You know, we don't plan that. Paul didn't have in his ministry plan, I plan to be arrested. But he was. And you will be. You will suffer all kinds of trials and tribulations. And you know this intellectually. And then when something that's not planned happens, sometimes we sink into despair. And, and Paul's writing these people, he says, no, 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 no. No, I want you to understand that what I didn't plan, God did plan. And I want you to know that. <laughs> and that was planned <laughs> by God. <laughs> Whether we plan it or not, things happen. So what are we going to do? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So call, identify what is the source of your pain. So right now, you can just do that, literally. You can think in your mind, what distresses me? What causes me pain? It could be a broken relationship. It, 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 could, be, it could be the result of your own sin. Sometimes our, uh, the, the pain that we experience is the consequences of our own foolishness and sin. For me, my hernia was the result that I was pretending like I was 25. It's like, well, of course I can lift this tree out of the back of my truck. I'm 54, but I'm really 25. No, that was dumb. I should, I should have called my son. Hey, help me lift this. Oh, no, I got it. So that's a result of stupidity. My own foolishness. And it brought about something in my life that I didn't plan. So what, what is it? In your case, it could be something that you caused. It could be something that you had no, no intention. You, it, it's, it's outside of your control. It could be emotional. It could be physical. It could be spiritual. It could be any a number of things. So identify what it is, first of all. Now, after you've identified what it is, what it is that's causing the pain, the next thing is, identify how God is using the pain. You may or may not be able to see this. So let's just identify that. You may or may not be able to see this. Paul can identify it. Let's take a look. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. First point, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The first thing that we see here is that this thing that has happened, his arrest has served to advance the gospel to those who would not have received the gospel had he not been arrested. In his context, we're not exactly sure where he's in prison. Many scholars, many commentators believe that he is in Rome because they mentioned the imperial guard. This is a whole host of soldiers in a palace. So it's presumed that he is in Rome. And every single day, Paul is literally shackled to a Roman soldier. Now, what do you think said Roman soldier is going to hear for the eight hours that they're chained to the Apostle Paul? They're going to hear the gospel. They're, in print, they're, they're chained up to the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. So every single day, let's say Festus comes in. Oh, it's my turn. How'd it go, Festus? Oh, my gosh. In the name of Zeus, all he did was drone on and on and on about Jesus Christ. 
how the God who created the universe became flesh and dwelt among men, how that same God took the sin of the world upon himself and then was crucified under Pontius Pilate and he was put in the tomb of Joseph Arimathea and then three days later, the Holy Spirit caused him to be raised from the dead and he conquered in sin and death and he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the other apostles and the women and 500 people at the same place and he appeared to me on the road to Damascus. He wouldn't shut up about it. Every single guard that was chained to Paul heard the story of the gospel, and they would not have had he not been arrested. It wasn't his plan, but it was God's plan. And these Roman soldiers and the imperial guard knew that he was not imprisoned for unrighteousness, but imprisoned for the cause of the gospel. It wasn't his plan. So there was an impact on outsiders. There was an impact on outsiders. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, chapter 15, 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, always honor Christ as holy and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason For the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. This verse is often referred to as as the spirit we're supposed to have when we tell people about Christ. But I want you to, to notice what, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. When do you think someone would ask you, why do you have hope? When when, when do you think they're going to ask, where's your hope? Are they going to ask you, where's your hope when you're riding on the crest of prosperity and awesomeness? No. That's not when someone says, why are you, where is your hope? They're going to ask you where your hope is when you're in pain. And when they're going to look at you and they're going to shake their head and say, why don't you just curse God and die like Job's wife? The only time someone is going to ask me where my hope is, is when when they look and see that I shouldn't have hope, but I have hope. So, So when that happens... Peter knows this, Paul knows this, there's an opportunity to advance the gospel. And what Paul is saying to these people is, don't sweat my suffering. It is advancing the gospel. So there's an impact on those who don't know. There's also an impact on those who do know. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There's a secondary Uh, benefit in that those in the body of Christ are emboldened to step forward and share the hope that they have in Christ, even when they too could be arrested. So Paul's boldness, Paul's imprisonment, Paul's advancing the gospel is, is spurring others on to do the same in spite of the risk that they could in fact be arrested. So there's the impact on outsiders. There's the impact on those who are in the Christ or in, in, in Christ to become bold, to speak the word. Now I want to stop right here. And I just want to ask you to consider that those are things that Paul could see. There are times when Paul couldn't see what God was doing. And there are times, some of you right now, there's a strong possibility that in, intellectually you're thinking, I can, 
I get this, I can kind of process this, but in my case, I know what's causing my pain, but unlike Paul, I can't see how God is using the pain. And here's the problem. If you can't see how God is using the pain, you may in fact be tempted to believe that he isn't using the pain, that he is somehow absent in the midst of your suffering talking with one brother after the first service who said, I get what you're saying, but there are times when I've been in suffering and I don't see how he's using the pain and therefore I wonder if he's in it at all. Have you been there? You don't have to raise your hand, but I guarantee you there are some of you right now that are in pain for various reasons and you can't see the good that God is doing. And what's the temptation? If I can't see it, He isn't doing it. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. This is a foundational verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, let me get there. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among among many brothers. So all things work together for good. That does not say, please don't, don't hear Paul say, do not hear the Bible say, the Bible doesn't teach this. The Bible does not teach that all things are good. Cancer's not good. The premature death of someone you love in and of itself is not good. Death is not good. Injustice is not good. And yet what Paul is saying and what the scripture is teaching is that God in his sovereignty is working all things good and bad, for good. For Paul's imprisonment, he's working it for good. Now, there are times in the midst of the pain, you can't see the good that God is is working. You can't see it. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, this is when Paul first came to Philippi. He comes to Philippi. This is what Jason talked about the first sermon in the series. He comes to Philippi. He goes to the place where people are praying. He gets them together. He proclaims the gospel. Many people come to faith in Christ. And and one particular person keeps following around. It's a slave girl who's possessed by a demon, and she can foretell foretell the future. And she, she keeps saying that he's the representing the God most high, and Paul becomes annoyed. And he casts the demon out and she loses her ability to, to and, and her, her owners, because she's a slave, they're, they're furious. And this leads to Paul's arrest. Paul and Silas are beaten. They're beaten and now they're imprisoned. So let's take a look here at Acts chapter 16, verse 25. They've been beaten and they've been put in prison. They can't see what God is doing. Now, what does Paul do? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Are they rejoicing in their wounds? No. They are rejoicing and trusting in the God who allowed them to receive those wounds. 
And what happens next? What happens next is as they're praying, as they're singing, as they're, as they're rejoicing in the sovereignty and the goodness of God, God brings about a miracle. There's an earthquake, the door's flaying open, the jailer thinks that all the prisoners have escaped, he's going to kill himself, and Paul says, no, 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 don't, we're all here. And the jailer says, what do I need to be saved? And he gets saved, his whole family, his whole household. Paul couldn't see that on the front end of his suffering. And that's the way it always works. You never see what God is doing immediately. It's only in hindsight afterwards. So yes, you might be in pain right now for various reasons. You cannot see what God is doing, but you do need to trust that God is working. Is working. You, you take that by faith. You take, but it's not just by blind faith. It's on the basis that he has demonstrated this throughout the history of the world and throughout Christ, the life of Christ. And then Paul's second arrest. When Paul is arrested at first, his ministry plans are abruptly halted and he doesn't see how God is going to work this. It's only after he sees all of the whole imperial guard start to understand the gospel. He's like, I see what God is doing, but not at the beginning. There's a level of trust here that we have to extend. So historically, the church, Jesus told the disciples, listen, I'm going to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you believe that or don't you? Yes or no? What do you think? Okay, we're getting, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus said it, so it has to be true. But there are times when we don't see how it's working. So historically, you have Paul, you have him in prison. Like, how is that going to advance the gospel? Well, it did. In 1979... Um, the Shah of Iran was overthrown. And before 1979, Iran was uh, somewhat open, at least to Western civilization, commerce, business. And missionaries could come and they could go. And it was a predominantly Islamic nation. There were 500 born-again Christians in Iran in 1979. And then, boom! Ayatollah Khomeini, everything in the West is thrown out. Missionaries are thrown out. Islam is the rule of, of government. And it's not safe to be a Christian there. You can be a Christian there since 1979. It's not illegal to be Christian if you were born a Christian. Not that anybody's born a Christian. But you can't convert to Christianity. And if you are caught proselytizing or sharing the gospel, you could lose your life. And that's been that way since 1979. Now, if you're an Iranian and you're a Christian, in 1979, how many of you think... That's a good thing. That's part of God's plan. I see this totally advancing the kingdom of God. How many hands go up? None. Why? Because that doesn't make any sense. Do you know that right now in Iran, it is the fastest growing Christian nation in the world. It's not a Christian nation, but it's advanced. 5.7% annual growth. People are coming to Christ. They can't stop them coming to Christ. Uh, this is from Newsweek in, in 2021. Not Christianity Today, Newsweek. You ready for this? Something religiously astonishing is taking place in Iran, where an Islamist government has ruled since 1979. Christianity is flourishing. Sheikh Atari of John Hopkins University wrote last year about Iran that Islam is the fastest shrinking religion there, while Christianity is growing the fastest. This trend resulted from the extreme form of Shia Islam imposed by theotic theocratic regime. 
An Iranian church leader, Anonymous, said, explained in 2019, what if I told you that the mosques are empty inside of Iran? What if I told you that no one follows Islam inside of Iran? What if I told you that the best evangelist for Jesus Christ was the Ayatollah Khomeini? You would have said, that's the dumbest plan ever. God is doing a work in a predominantly Islamic culture where it is forbidden to preach the gospel. And yet, just like the Apostle Paul, God wants us to know that don't sweat it. This is all happening to advance the gospel. It doesn't make any sense on paper. Nobody draws up on a ministry plan, makes sure a nation is absolutely closed to Christianity. The same thing happened in China in the 1930s. Kick all the missionaries out. Do you know there are more Christians in China than there are in America? What is the principle here? Whether it's my individual pain and suffering or whether it's the pain and suffering of different people groups and churches in different closed countries, God's sovereignty is still on the throne. He's still on the throne. He is still at work. Okay, let's move this to, uh, to the last point here. And that is, how should I view my pain? It says perspective. Actually, in hindsight, I want you to X out perspective. I want you to put objective. Objective. What's my objective? So he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others for goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Just stop. Give some color there. That's a strange verse. Because if we read that straightforward, he's like, listen, there's a lot of people out there and they preach the gospel out of sincerity. They want people to come to Christ. But there's another group of people and they're not preaching Christ out of sincerity. They're doing it out of selfish ambition just to make my life miserable. Well, who does that? It's almost like you think that the enemies of the gospel are proclaiming Christ, not because they believe in Christ, but just to get, make Paul's life difficult. That's one way to look at it. And I suppose that's a possibility, but that would require people that don't believe in Christ to tell people that Jesus rose from the dead. What more likely is the case is that you have rival uh, church leaders who are, are preaching the gospel not for the advancement of the gospel, but to make Paul's life difficult because they want to make his life difficult. You say, well, Christians don't act like that, really. Have you ever read church history or just paid attention to a local church in your community? Of course they do. Christians can be flaming idiots, including Christian leaders. So whatever these Christian leaders are, or non-Christian leaders, I can't, I'm not going to make a defense for either one, but someone's making Paul's life difficult. And Paul's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Look at verse 18. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. What is that? What is that? What is Paul rejoicing in? This is key. This is absolutely key. He's rejoicing in the fact that Christ is being proclaimed. He's not rejoicing in his pain. He's not rejoicing in his imprisonment. He's rejoicing in what God is doing through that. Does that make sense? And here's why this is important. If, you don't, if we don't grab a hold of that, we're going to think that we're supposed to rejoice in the, in the 
malignant diagnosis. Oh, you just need to rejoice in your cancer. What? You don't rejoice in cancer. You don't rejoice when your spouse cheats on you. You don't rejoice when, when, uh, when you experience pain, but you do rejoice in a sovereign God who loves you and who is going to use that pain for your good. That's what you rejoice in. That's what Paul's rejoicing in. In that, I rejoice. That matters. If we, if we don't understand what that is, then we can slip into despair. So what's your objective? What's your perspective? This is crucial. Many people, even in the body of Christ, their main objective in life is the American dream. And by the American dream, I mean that you, your objective is to preserve your life, acquire comfort, and avoid pain. Yes? What, what's, what's the preamble of the declaration? The pursuit of happiness. Preserve your life, acquire comfort, avoid pain. By the way, who plans and desires pain? No one. But if that's an objective, if that's an objective, and then that objective doesn't become reality, instead, in 2022, as you pursue that, and that's your objective in life, but instead you get something altogether different that you didn't plan on, you end up on your back for eight weeks, or, or you lose your job, or your spouse abandons you, or one of your children rejects Christ and, and goes away, in any number, roll the roulette wheel and see which pain and suffering you get. Whatever you comes into your life, if that's your objective, suffering will lead to disillusionment. One of two reasons why. Number one, you'll begin to think that your faith is deficient. You'll pray for healing. What if healing doesn't come? Maybe it's because I don't believe hard enough. Maybe it's because I have unconfessed sin in my life. Maybe the reason God hasn't taken that thorn from my flesh, maybe the reason that God refused to heal my son, my daughter, my wife, your grandparents, whatever, maybe the reason that God won't act is because my faith isn't strong enough. Maybe it's because I'm deficient. Maybe it's because of my sin. How many of you have ever thought that? Job's friends assumed that his suffering was because of his sin. It's a common thread. It's a common thought. And if that's the case, that will lead you to despair and disillusionment. Or, not disillusionment in the sense that you despair over yourself, but you begin to believe that your Savior is deficient. Here's the deal. If if I'm without sin and I'm walking in righteousness and I do believe and God doesn't come through, maybe God can't. Maybe God's limited. Maybe God is limited in his power. Maybe the enemy is stronger than the God that we worship. There's a book a number of years ago that came out written by a a man by a Krishner, I believe. And the whole thesis is why... What's going on when good people suffer? And his thesis was this. God means well. He He just is limited. God wants to, 
But there are forces in this world, forces of evil that prevent God from, from alleviating injustice, alleviating suffering. That elevates Satan to a place of power that he's not given in Scripture. Nothing can happen to you or to me that is outside of God's sovereign decree. Nothing. Nothing. And everything that happens to you or me, God is working for the good of those who love him. Everything. So if your goal is to preserve your life, acquire comfort and avoid pain, you're toast. You will never be able to rejoice. Now take that back. You'll be able to rejoice when you ride the crest of the wave of prosperity and awesomeness. But when the wave crashes against the shore, you will crash. And you will believe that God has abandoned you. You believe that God is not for you. You will believe that greater is he that is in the world that is in you. You will believe all the things that the scripture says don't believe. You will crash. You will burn. Or you'll just walk away. And you'll just abandon Christ. You'll be that shallow soil that the, that the, the word of God, the gospel, took, took root and it sprang up immediately with great rejoicing until the sun came out and persecution came and pain came. And then because there was no root, you just walk away from Jesus. You say, well, that'll never happen. Maybe. It does happen happens all the time and it depends on our perspective or our perspective and our objective is I want to be like Jesus. You want to pray a dangerous prayer? Pray the following. Lord Jesus, I want you to make me just like you. You say, well, Brooks, how is that dangerous? How do you propose that God is going to make you like his son? Do you know the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ was made perfect through suffering? That he learned obedience through suffering? Do you think that I'm going to become like Jesus simply by having an easy life? If Jesus required suffering in order to learn obedience, do you think that Brooke Simpson is going to have read a book about character and, and arrive at character? Is that how it works? No. That is not how it works. Do you know how God is going to teach Brooks to shut up long enough to listen? By putting him on his back for eight weeks. That's how he's going to do it. Do you understand how God is going to work in your life? He's going to allow you to experience what you don't want to experience. And why does he do that? Because he loves you more than you love yourself. Why do you allow your children to experience pain when they get vaccinated, when they do this, when you cleanse a wound that they scrape their knee and it causes them more pain and they think that you're torturing them? Why do you do that, mom and dad? Because you love them. It's all a matter of perspective. And if you have that perspective and your goal is to become like Jesus, suffering can lead to rejoicing. It can. But that presumes that you're in Christ. 
I don't know all of you personally. I know many of you. And even those that I know personally, I don't know if you are in Christ. So, well, Brooks, what do, you, what do you mean in Christ? I mean, there's a point in time in your life where you come to God and you say, God, I need you. I need the forgiveness that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I need you to save me from my sin. I need you to take up residence in my heart because I can't live my life for myself. Lord, I give myself to you and I receive you. That's where it begins. It must begin there. So if you have not begun at that point, I would encourage you that today is the day of salvation. That today you make a conscious decision, Lord Jesus, save me from my sin and make me who you want me to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, which is undeserved, but freely offered. Jesus, you are good. You are holy. You are righteous, and you desire our good. And you love us enough to let us experience pain in various forms. And Lord, we can't always see what you're doing in that pain, but I pray that you would give us the strength and the grace and the faith to trust you in the midst of it, knowing that you are working all things for the good of those who love you. And Father, we pray that it would advance the gospel. Lord, help us to have a proper perspective and objective in life that we might be able to rejoice in what you're doing through pain, not because of the pain, but because of you and your goodness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.